You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. So I am so, so thrilled to have our guest on today, Christine Keisinger, Dr. Christine Keisinger, who is here. And she is a wellness educator, a certified yoga teacher, a certified Reiki master, a clinical aromatherapist. And I will just say personally, an extraordinary woman to know. She's lectured all over the country in the areas of stress management and shares practical and powerful strategies for stress reduction, which she's going to share with us today. By training, she's a professor and academic scholar of interpersonal communication. And her work in the areas of family and intimate relational, her work is in the area of family and intimate relational communication, greatly enhances her approach to stress management. Christine has this core belief that it's the present, that the presence of chronic stress not only affects the body and mind, but can be destructive to one's closest bonds and can negatively impact one's professional life. So whether she's teaching on the yoga mat or in a corporate setting, in a university classroom, or here with us on our call, she, her aim is to really help people achieve wellness in all areas of their lives. And um, I have known Christine for a number of months now and just feel completely honored to have her on the call with us today. So Christine, I want to welcome you, give you a moment to say hi and introduce yourself a little bit. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm I'm actually leading a workshop this evening on the same topic, and people are very, very interested in implementing positive natural strategies uh, to manage stress around the holidays. And it's particularly stressful, um, as we know, when you are uh, navigating divorce. So, Christine, we're like going to dive right in here because that was the perfect segue, and you really know something about that. Because of your own story. So tell us a little bit how your story unfolded and how you really know about stress um, having relating to divorce around the holidays. Well, I was reflecting upon this uh, just this morning, and on December 21st in the late night hours, uh, my husband and I had the, the big conversation about uh, pursuing divorce, which went into the wee hours of December 22nd. And... Um, that said, we uh, we launched into the holiday season with this in the forefront of our minds, and um, we created a very very turbulent holiday. And um, I had to really call upon all of my tools and strategies to manage that time period and and the months that followed. But having this happen so close to the holidays um, really. Uh, it, it was just, you know, increased the level of stress that normally we feel during the holiday season. And so the content that I'm offering today are the things that I pulled upon first and foremost during that period of time. Right. And, you know, we're, I'm really looking forward in, you know, for those who um, got onto the call a little bit later, 
Um, one of the things I love about the call is that this conversation with Christine is actually going to be very interactive. She's going to be guiding us. And so if you're not in a place where your hands are free or you might be able to close your eyes safely um, and things like that, that you might, we invite you to find a place to do that. And if you're just listening today, but you'll get the um, link for the recording back afterwards where you might have more of an opportunity to really sit with the kinds of things Christine's going to introduce, um, we'll do that. You know, you'll have the opportunity to do it then. Um, and so, but just right before we move into that, you know, Christine, part of what, even if nothing else were going on in our life, holidays could be stressful enough, right? We go, we may be seeing extended family where who did we not get a gift for that got a gift for us or, you know, right. I think the expectations are so high that even if nothing else were going on in our life, you know, it would already mm-hmm. be stressful enough. <laughs> and yeah, then we and add this in. That's right. That's right. And I think that, um, there are all kinds of expectations uh, around the holidays that come from the media. I call it, I used to tell my students, I used to describe it as the Hallmark family Christmas. And <laughs> the, the kind of, of, um, of, of sadness and, and challenge that that can create for people who look at those commercials or the lifetime television uh, Christmas season programs and their lives don't in any way match up to that. So there's, there's a media component, there's expectations within our own families and generations of patterns and traditions that are in place that often don't work when we find ourselves in the transition of divorce. And um, I found personally that for me there's so much orientation toward others during the holiday season and what I needed more than anything else last Christmas was to be supremely focused on myself and taking care of myself with the the notion of divorce looming. And so, yes, you're exactly right. On top of the natural stresses that come with the holiday season to then also be dealing with all of the emotionality related to divorce or divorcing, it just makes for a very difficult time. And so, you know, with those stressors of the normal holiday and then adding into it the situation that we're in, and I want to jump right into kind of the first area we're going to work into, is that, and I wrote about this in my latest blog article, so if some of you are readers of my blog or want to be readers of my blog, you can see that, you know, we can create stories in our head. We can have so mm-hmm. many stories. You know, I'm destroying Christmas for my children. I, you know, something is really wrong in my with me or my life or that here it's supposed to be a joyful time and nothing is joyful in my life. Or, you know, we just can create, our, our minds can go crazy with stories about, you know, how bad we are, how bad things are, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with my life, what am I doing, am I, you know, that the stories can rage. And so um, I offered some strategies around this in my newsletter, but then you really have a technique here that um, I think is the first one you can introduce to us, which is really what do we do with our minds? You know, how do we set our minds in a place that are not going to be so destructive for us, like following all those stories that we can tell? So, you know, introduce us to some of, you know, the messages and the meditations that you used to help your mind not follow, you know, what I imagine could have been really challenging stories that would arise during this time. Right. So I want to begin with, Um, a morning and evening meditation practice, and this is the practice that I used last year at this time, and actually I still continue to use it because it's very, very simple 
but it does exactly what you described. It helps you to get your mind right. In my case, I was not only sort of thought I was upsetting Christmas for my children, but my entire extended family. And so when we're going through this, um, we're often also burdened with the way in which the divorce or divorcing is affecting all of these other people in our lives beyond our immediate family. So, Christine, I think we've kind yes. of you breaking in and out. Okay, but I think you're back. So go back to when you were t- saying in terms of your extended family. My extended family, for just as for example, we were hosting or we were to host Christmas Eve dinner, and that got canceled. And so there were so many other people relying upon us to create a certain experience for their holiday that I was riddled with guilt about that. And um, the the meditation practice that I want to introduce really helps me to get my mind right. Otherwise, I, 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 I don't know where I would have been mentally and emotionally during that time. And so are we ready to launch into that? Right. So give us any instructions if we are sitting, whether it be in our office or home or someplace else, you know, to be able to really embrace the experience you're going to take us through. But yes, Mm -hmm. guide us right into it. Okay. So this is the morning practice and I call the morning practice one word. It's called align. And what you want to do if you're, if you can right now is to just sit very quietly in the morning before I put my feet on the floor, before I get out of bed, I do this. Even if I have to set the alarm just a little bit earlier, I lay there in the quiet and you can close your eyes right now and take three long, deep breaths. This will call you into this practice. Once you've done that, you want to either whisper the word aloud or sort of say it to yourself three times. Align, align, align. The next thing that you want to do is to want to really think very, very deeply into how you want to feel. Maybe you want to feel at peace. Maybe you want to feel safe or protected, hopeful full of faith and trust, happy, confident, strong, but you want to really identify how you want to feel and meditate upon those qualities until you really feel them in your body and your mind, as opposed to waking up with thoughts of insecurity, uncertainty, all of the what-ifs, and then launching into your day. The other thing that you might do is to very vividly imagine how you want your life to look in a few months or maybe in a year. And again, really feel that as if it's so or as if it has happened. So during this morning practice, you do not get out of bed (laughs) until your heart and your mind are completely aligned with thoughts, feelings, images, and I really, really matter to you. For me, they're my core, core values. For example, when I was doing this meditation a year ago, I really focused on what it meant to stand in my truth. I focused on 
authenticity. I focused on feeling love and compassion. I focused on feeling very boundaried and protected. And this is the most important part. I focused on having feelings of light and love for my husband, who at the time was very, very angry. And I used to say this, it was sort of like a mantra, love and light, love and light in all matters. I wish him love and light, even when he was acting out in the most heinous of ways. So this practice helps you to set up your day. And again, I do not get out of bed in the morning, even to this day, without going through some version of this. I know that I am responsible for the energy that I'm bringing into my day, into any situation that I enter into during the day. And I can be frantic. I can be in a fight mode. I can be in a flee mode. I can be frozen emotionally or... I can choose to be calm, undefended in my heart, accepting, and I can move forward in my day in a spirit of moving on, moving forward, as opposed to feeling frozen. So that's the morning practice. And it's going to be different for everyone because we all have different things that we value but it's it's so important, especially it's important all of the time, but during this time to not set your feet on the floor until you feel that peace in your mind and that your thoughts are aligned with the call of your heart. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. And, you know, it's, such a beautiful way to kind of start not just kind of where up and wherever your mind's taking you to follow, but, you know, many times in this place of considering divorce or in divorce or separation is one of the things we fear the most is all the things that are outside of our control. And yeah. one of the things that was really resonating with me as you were talking and sharing it is that it gives us such a place of control. Like I dictate, as you said, you know, what, how I'm going to show up to my day, you know, what energy I'm going to bring to the events of my day. And it's probably one of the most powerful things that we can have control over and nobody else can interfere with it. No. Mm-mm. When that's, uh, unless we, unless we allow it or, or are made vulnerable to it. And that is why but this morning practice for me, and I always think about it in terms of my feet, my feet do not touch my floor until I, I go through this and I might have to go through it a couple of times just to, just to feel ready. And you'll know when you feel ready and it's, it's just a beautiful way to start the day and you, you just do it from your bed. You don't have to light a candle or, or get out of bed and go to a special place in your home unless you choose to, but I say, so I just want I want to ask you a couple of questions about it, and then I want to go on to the evening practice because we have so many things that we want to share today. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of things that stood out to me as you were talking in May for listeners as well. Um, you whisper the word align, align, align three times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And three, I know, is a number that just has a lot of power in it. So I wondered if you mm-hmm. could say anything about three and the repetition of something three times. 
<laughs> I really, I didn't know that. You mentioned to that, that to me recently. I tend to work in threes just naturally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when I teach yoga and we're doing, you know, certain things, we'll, we, I find myself we're doing them three times. So I honestly don't know. Um, okay. what it, I don't know. I don't have well, it's interesting, you know, the book, the book Three Cups of Tea or a movie that people are familiar with, that three is often the number when something happens three times, it becomes sealed. Like the first time you kind of introduce it, you experience it, maybe you mm-hmm. second time gain a little more familiarity. But like when you do something three times, it really seals. And like, in, in, for example, in that movie, like it seals the relationship, you know, by sharing three cups mm. of tea. Um, and then also I know in geometry, three is actually structurally the most, the strongest shape that there is. Um, you know, it's why wow. it's used for rooftops and bridges and things like that because its stability is so strong. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. So there really is this power to the number three. Um, yeah. and so, you know, I want to, I want to underscore it, um, in the practice there. The other question I want to ask you about because I have to, I mean, I know that, you know, people sitting on the call and people that I talk to every day, you know, would say, you just sort of embarked on this divorce. It had to have come from a really difficult place because divorce comes from a difficult place. And, you know, the prayer that you put out toward your husband at the time was for love and light. And, you know, I have to imagine for some people, it just feels like, how could I even access those words um, at that time? So, Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you accessed them when it may not have been what you were actually feeling. I mean, it's like, how did you access them and why bring that forward here? You know, what's the importance of it? The importance of it for me was that I, I knew my husband to be a certain way for 12 years. And when we began the divorce process, I saw him become someone very different. And it was shocking to me. I, it's almost like I didn't recognize him. And when I would look at him, I literally could see darkness and that he had gone to a very dark place. And and even we had had some confrontations that even for me, I, I myself went to a very dark place. And I knew that we were completely acting out of a survivalistic mode of thinking because our entire world was being threatened and um you know i would often look at him and and think you know he's behaving like an animal in the wild who's wounded and as you know if you're out in the wild and you encounter a wounded animal you're you're bound to get hurt and so i just um trust me there were times when uttering this prayer was very difficult and i didn't necessarily connect to the words but i would do it anyway because i did it enough that I came to feel those things. And I also knew that, that, that that's who he is really love and light. Mm-hmm. We all are. And, um, I prayed, this was sort of also a prayer that he could be lifted up out of that darkness. And indeed that's what happened, but it took, it took a long time. But, um, I just remember when he was at his worst, in, inside of my mind, chanting love and light, love and light in all matters. I wish him love and light. Wow. And it's really, really powerful. And, you know, it's interesting because our, our minds and our bodies in some ways 
need an energy of, or often draw upon, I guess I'll say an energy of anger to help us gain momentum for action. Yes. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, on the one hand, it was like things were dark and hard, which can propel toward taking some action. And at the same time, this prayer seems like it prevents sort of the old bull in the china shop type action. Like we don't just randomly start ripping and tearing things away, but it provides a counterbalance that allows us you know, even if we might be propelled by some of that hurt or anger, but we don't allow it to propel us into really destructive places, but we're coming back to remembering that everyone is filled with light. Yes, and I think that uttering the prayer um, changed my energy towards him, which Mm. eventually came to change our dynamic, which again, and I'm sure everyone has encountered a version of this where, you know, you see this person you've been married to and think, I, I don't know who you are. I didn't know that you had this in you. <laughs> and you yourself may behave in ways that seem unrecognizable. So um, such a prayer or a chant or a mantra, it just, it it changed the way that I would enter into dialogues with him. It was always there in the backdrop. So with that, we're going to move into the evening practice. And if we thought that Christine set the bar high with the morning practice <laughs> in terms of the places that we can push ourselves to to really align and be our best selves, you know, introduce us to the evening practice, how this goes and how what purpose it served for you. Okay, the evening practice I call reflect, forgive, release. And the evening practice, again, you're getting into bed, you're beginning with those three long, deep breaths, and when you sort of feel that you're beginning to settle, you begin by reflecting. And for me, I ask myself these questions as I'm lying there. What was today like? What was good about it? Um, What could I have managed better and how? I don't ask myself what was bad about it. I ask myself, well, what happened today? that I could have managed better and how could I have managed it better? And I keep my focus on these questions until I feel ready to move on and you will know when it's time to move on. Next, you move on to forgiving. And this is really has been very, very important for me. The first question is, what can I forgive in myself today? Um, That's followed by, what might I forgive in others today and you keep your focus in forgiveness until you're ready to move on. I believe that it is of the utmost importance at this time navigating through divorce, separation, contemplating it wherever you are in the process to engage in acts of self-forgiveness very, very often. Um, You might feel guilt about initiating the divorce or separation. Um, You might feel guilt or shame that you somehow failed your marriage, your family, your partner, yourself. Um, You might feel guilt or shame around ways you've behaved throughout this process or or things that you have done that, that brought you to this point. But it's such toxic energy to stay in the guilt and the shame and the, and the lack of forgiveness. And I find that the only way I can enter into a peaceful night of sleep 
is through reflection and then forgiveness. And that's the release part. Um, We know physiologically that sleep deprivation, going to sleep in an anxious state, not getting the kind of rest that we need is the quickest path to feeling insane. And so for me being properly rested and just getting the the healing benefits that I needed from a solid night of sleep without having to rely on, on medication and that sort of thing, this evening practice is what would set up my night. So you're setting up your day with the morning practice and you're setting up your night with your evening practice so that you can rest. So it's releasing or it's reflecting, it's forgiving, and it's only in doing those things that you can release into peace. And you might have to repeat the reflection and the forgiveness part a couple of times before you feel that you're fully released. I, I, you know, I love those three words, the reflect, the forgive, and release. And the things that you've said about forgiveness really resonate. I mean, the amount of beating ourselves up, of beating someone else up, of the guilt, of the shame, the things that we can carry with that really serve to keep us stuck in this toxic energy inside us that, you know, makes us feel badly and then in turn comes projected out into the people that we encounter, the relationships we have, the things that we do, and the willingness of ourselves to be able to forgive ourselves and forgive others repeatedly and consistently on a daily basis um, Mm -hmm. is really powerful. Yeah, and so the evening practice is is sort of a way of, of encouraging us on a daily basis to do a little bit of that. And I really encourage people and I really encourage people who are listening, as you said, you know, sometimes sleep can be the hardest thing to come by when you're in a Mm -hmm. stressful state and we can rely on all you know, we can rely on some things that are healthy and helpful and some things that are maybe a little bit less healthy and helpful, whatever our vices are, but are also medication. And you know, really want to encourage people that, you know, if you're feeling like you're getting too dependent on other ways to try to find or access sleep or you can't find ways to find and access sleep, to give these practices a try on a consistent basis for, you know, a couple of weeks and see what happens and see if that alters things um, yeah. for you. And mm-hmm. I want to let everyone know who's listening um, before we go on, I'll give you a chance to say your final thing, that we are going to send out in the thank you email that will come afterwards with the recorded link will also be a copy of all of these practices that Christine's sharing with us written out so that you will have the text for them. So you might be furiously writing or things like that or knowing you get the recording, but you're also going to get it written out for you so that you'll have that available to you to be able to make this practice your own. Um, so, Christine, anything else before we close out the morning and evening practice and move on to our next strategy? No, no, I think that that's it. Uh, but they're both, again, beautiful ways to begin and end your day. Okay. So I wanted to move on. One of the other things, and, you know, I've recently taken on some of these breathing practices for myself and have seen just the extraordinary benefits. So I want to jump over to some of the breathing practices um, that you're going to introduce to us that, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about breath and what role it plays for us and, and why how these techniques can serve an important role for us. And then we'll go into the specific practices. Well, in a very sort of, 
scientific way, physiological way, breath is life force. Um, without it, we die or nothing, you know, with, when it's limited in any way or compromised in any way, our entire bodily system is compromised. And as we know, whenever we feel threatened, uh, there are rapid changes in the breath because our body is really trying to help us out. And, of course, during divorce, separation, even the mere contemplation of it, we do feel a certain degree of threat related to our way of being and the way that we have been living, and we're not quite sure how it's all going to turn out. And so our breath can be affected uh, through anxiety we may be experiencing. Again, I can't emphasize enough that when our way of being and way of living is threatened, we tend to go into that fight mode, the flight mode, or that freeze mode. And in all three cases, the breath operates in a certain way. We have absolute control over our breath. And if there is one thing, if there is one pathway, if there is one key that unlocks the door towards a state of calm and peace, it is breath and controlling your breath. And so, In yoga and meditation, the control of breath is called pranayama, and there are an endless numbers of pranayama practices, but there were two that I wanted to talk about today that are very easy to practice and very beneficial um, in all kinds of situations, but especially for the sort of transitory state that many of us um, are in right now. And the first is what I call um, panic or emergency breath. And this practice is a surefire way to bring your body into a state of calm and your mind into a state of calm. What's different about this way of breathing is that it focuses on both retention, a very, very short period of holding your breath, followed by a longer exhalation. And so it's recommended when people are feeling a high state of panic or anxiety It's great for emergency situations, and it's really great for anyone who feels anxiety in a very chronic or a very acute way. Do you have any questions about it? No, go ahead and take us into this practice, and let's see what it feels like. So you want to, um, again, I always start anything that I'm doing with three long, deep breaths. There's a number three again, um, before we begin the practice. And so this is something that... uh, we can actually launch into right now. Um, To begin the actual practice, you want to take a slow inhalation for a slow count of four. So you just sort of breathe in and inside you're counting one, two, three, four. When you get to the top of that inhalation, you're just going to quietly hover there before you exhale for a slow count of one, two, three, four, five. And then you're going to exhale through your mouth for a count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. So it's a four count in you retain for a count of five, and then you're going to exhale for a count of six. What's important to remember, 
people tend to feel panic at the very notion of holding the breath. And so when I teach this practice, I use the word hover. You get to the top of that inhalation, you're just going to hover there real calmly, very, very calmly, and then you'll blow the air out through your lips. And you want to just try to do this slow and steady, but it's the retention and it's the longer exhalation that actually gets your parasympathetic nervous system to start calming down, to bring you into a state of calm. So this takes you out of that fight, flight, frozen um, process very, very quickly. Um, and I know that remote. because I've tried it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and even if you, you're in three, hold for four, blow out for five, you just want to make the retention a breath or two longer and you want to make the exhalation a breath or two longer. When we breathe normally, most of us are fantastic at inhalation and we shortchange ourselves on the exhalation. Our exhales are very shallow. They're very brief. And we don't, we don't realize or we forget that your exhalation is the physical release of toxins and your exhalation is the emotional, mental release of anything that's burdening us. So you just I'm really... Glad really mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Kurt. Um, I was just going to say, I'm really glad that you talked about that modification. So if we're not ready yet for four, five, or six, that beginning mm-hmm. three, four, mm-hmm. five would be totally fine too, and then work our way up. And, you know, and then as you shared with me in the past, you can continue to work the numbers up if that feels you know, like a good progression to go in. Yeah, this this helps you. This kind of working with your breath in these practices really helps you to to build a log a larger capacity in your lungs. So if you do this in a serious way over a period of time, you can really increase those numbers. And one of the things uh, that I think I wanted to just point out too is in the breathing in, like a lot of us, as you said, shortchange the exhale, but some of us don't always breathe in in the deepest way, like breathing in truly from, you know, the abdomen. We might breathe in from our chest or our lungs, only, but like truly breathing in from really this deep place. So if you put your hands on your, you know, under your rib cage, you can re- should really be able to feel the inhalation. Yes, and it, it, that's true too. I, w- I would say that most of us really shortchange ourselves on both ends. Um, I see new new yoga students all of the time who have real difficulty breathing and creating actually an inflation in the belly. Um, you, you actually, the best way to describe this is watch an infant breathe or a, a pet. It's this balloon-like inflation of the, um, of the rib cage in the belly. And it's completely uninhibited. Mm-hmm. And it's, total freedom and and women in particular tend to struggle a lot with this in yoga classes um, because so many of us have been instructed to suck it in, you know, keep those abdominal walls always pulled in tight and it, it, it really messes up your breathing and therefore your body to actually take in what it needs and to expel what it doesn't need. And as you say that, even I do recall that doing a lot of exercise that lots of times my inhalation, I have to pay a lot of attention or else I'm sucking everything in rather than, 
you know, really mm-hmm. breathing in the way that you're describing there. And, you know, I think what's important is, you know, you said that you can stop and do this anywhere. And I really have taken this on as a practice times when I feel really stressed and I might do this, repeat it, you know, the breath five, six, seven times until, as you've said before, you just know, like, you know, you're feeling calmer. Yes. Actually, after about three rounds of this, you're going to start to settle. If you can do maybe five to ten rounds of it, then you're really, really sort of working this now therapeutically. And it's sort of like medicine. It's a a very natural way uh, to sedate. And the other thing that you can do with your inhalation, if you're just sort of playing around with it, is lay down and take in several deep inhalations and see where you get stuck. Like a lot of people get stuck at their chest. They feel like, I can't get air past my chest. And it's because so much of the weight of what we're carrying in our life is laying on our chest. It really is. Or over the heart. And sometimes when I'm feeling that weight and I feel like I can't get a breath beyond this place, I just keep breathing. And with each exhale, just imagine whatever it is I'm carrying lifting off the chest lifting off the chest, lifting off and going away. And then you start to notice, oh, now the breath is coming into the ribs cage and now it's coming into my belly. Hmm. Wow. So we have time for maybe the one last breathing strategy that you wanted to introduce to us. So um, we're going to dive right in there because I think this is a really important one to get out and then we'll start to bring things to a wrap up of. But go ahead, let's look at the last strategy for breathing. So the the last strategy is one of my favorites. It's a variation of what's called Nadi Sudi Pranayama, which is not the words Nadi Sudi means alternate nostril. Um, that's an entirely different way of, of breathing. It's a different practice, but this is a modification of it. And it's left nostril breathing. So then in, in this practice, you're going to take your index finger on your right hand or, or any finger for, for that matter, just whatever feels comfortable. Oh, Chris, you're going I think to you feel... just dropped off again for a second, so come back and let's start again with telling us about the left nostril breathing. Where did I, where did you, what did you do last here? Go right back to the beginning, left nostril, that it's an alternate form of the, or it's a different a modification of the alternate um, nostril breathing. Yes, it's an it's a variation of Nadi Sudi breathing alternate nostril breathing, you're going to take your right index finger, gently close off your right nostril, and you're going to start breathing slowly in and out of the left nostril only. If you have any congestion, you may want to blow your nose before you do this, but you want to breathe in and out through the left nostril only. And you will notice that an inhalation and an exhalation will take longer because you're only using one nostril. So why are we only focusing on the left side? Because when you breathe exclusively through the left nostril, you are sedating, calming the central nervous system, the brain. So, um, Honestly, many people describe this as sort of a natural sedative, a natural, uh, you know, a substitute for a glass of wine. Uh, I have one student who, who says that this is her natural form of, of Valium. So it, it's that powerful. 
Um, after three rounds of breath, you should begin to feel a difference. Um, for maximum benefits, you want to breathe in and out of that left nostril seven to ten times. Um, if you really want to enhance this experience, you can do this practice while just watching the flame of a candle or if you have a fireplace, watching the fire in the fireplace or just looking at something that's very beautiful and fixing your focus on that. Um, I like to look straight ahead when I do this and slightly down. And whatever you're doing, you want to just keep your eyes very soft. And additionally, you can just practice this with your eyes closed if that feels good for you as well. Hmm. Just a little tip in case you're wondering, if you are in need of a more energized state, you need to sort of wake up your mind and feel more alert, you would switch it and breathe exclusively through the right nostril because that enlivens and awakens and energizes the central nervous system, but not good during panic or anxiety. Left side exclusively for that. And just to clarify one thing, and then I, you know, want to bring us to, you know, some final words, is um, when we're breathing through the left nostril, are we breathing deeply or are we breathing normally? Breathe, you, you can start normal, but you want to, you want to really go deep. And okay. one of the ways that you can really monitor that is to ask yourself, am I feeling that expansion of the rib cage in the belly? That's how I know I'm getting the breath deep in. Mm-hmm. And as I exhale, am I feeling all of that descend on the exhalation? So it should be this expansion of the belly and then it descends like a balloon. It blows up like a balloon and then it, Right. which is interesting because it is for many of us the opposite of what if we put our hands on our stomachs it feels like we might breathe in and then everything would you know contract and then come out in the out breath and what we're really describing is trying to find the place where it, it's the opposite where it's exactly the in breath exactly. and you know contracting in the in breath so that's Again, a good thing yeah, for people watch, to sit with yeah watch, watch a baby breathe, an infant breathe or an animal breathing you will see the rhythm and it's very rhythmic, and that's the other reason why it's so um, comforting to us, and it really affects the, um, the central nervous system. But this practice of left nostril breathing only, again, it works, it works as a sedative. And for people who are very sensitive to breath work, my, I'm included in that group, this produces almost a trans-like effect. I love this practice because it... Um, if my mind is very scattered and I need to get some good writing done or I need to do some work and I just need to calm down and get right into that sort of that flow-like zone, this is, this is the practice that I'll use for that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, you've really given us a tremendous set of tools this morning to, or this afternoon, depending on where we are, um, to be able to work through not only this holiday period and the stress that's arising here, but practices for life and practices that really can help us to feel more aligned with how we want to feel and feel a little bit more in control of our inner state, of how to generate an inner state that is going to be helpful 
for us when we can so often feel our inner state, you know, reeling out of control. So we're so incredibly grateful to you for sharing that with us. And so I'm just going to ask you, you know, kind of a final summation word that you might want to leave people with. And if there's a way people can contact you for questions, and then I want to, you know, share with people how they can contact us as well. So, you know, something final that you want to leave people with. And if they wanted to, you know, learn more about this or contact you in any way, how might they do that? Um, the, the, what I'd like to leave everyone with are two words, actually. actually well, actually one word, and that is sacred. This is a very sacred time, as difficult as it might feel for you. Um, the kind of growth that's generated in navigating a divorce, a separation, or even if you're in that period of contemplation, um, it's so growth enhancing and it may not feel that way. And therefore, I look back on it as, as an incredibly period in my period in my life and it very much still is um in the thank you um handout that you'll send out uh that i prepared there is both a phone number and an email address where i can be reached shall i say the email here or um just you can say the email yeah you can say the email Mm -hmm. quickly here yeah it's dr christine wellness at gmail.com and it's dr dr christine wellness at gmail.com all one word so as i said we're so grateful to christine for being with us today and for all of you sharing this hour with us this 15-minute period because you're really you know concerned with your health and well-being and how you can care for yourself and others around you well at this time and you know, from the Mainline Family Law Center, my partners here who are hosting the call, and myself at Divorce Essentials, we really want to um, do everything that we can in supporting you through this process. And so a couple of things just to mention is Mainline Family Law Center, their website is myhealthydivorce.com. There is such an incredible wealth of resources on their website. Take some time to look around whether you're in this geographic area or not. You can always contact them for a free consult. Um, my website is divorceessentials.net with an S at the end, divorceessentials.net. I have a newsletter I send out that really is to continue this sacred journey, as Christine called it here. Um, on my website, I have a divorce companion program that um, really helps to, how do you get oriented to travel this path in a healthy way to make good choices for yourself and your family? And so that's available at divorcecompanion.com. hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.